Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter. And you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Fraudology Podcast, where every week we will dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of a veteran fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I've focused my life and career on online fraud prevention for over 15 years, working with hundreds of the most well-known e-commerce companies to help them prevent payment fraud and abuse. Welcome to the second official episode of Fraudology. I am excited to welcome you back. I have been humbled and excited to hear from so many people that are really glad that there's a new podcast out about fraud prevention. A lot of people missed when or were sad and and bummed when uh, online broadcast was canceled. And so they are excited to have this back as well. And I hope you are too. I uh, actually was planning on bringing on a pretty exciting interview, but schedules conflicted and the podcast show must go on. So hopefully we will have that exciting interview for you next week. Something to look forward to. But let's be honest, there is so much fraud out there, especially in the last six months. But I mean, just in general, it just keeps getting more and more that I mean, I don't need interviews. I could talk for days and weeks and months about fraud without really saying the same thing twice, more or less, but (laughs) we're not going to test that theory (laughs) because I probably would repeat myself, let's be honest here. (laughs) So I wanted to kind of start what the fraud segment a little bit differently this time. I think that a lot of people in fraud fighting, and, and even if you aren't a fraud fighter but are just fascinated by this topic, a lot of us who have you know, been fraud fighters, at least for me at the beginning, when I would, you know, meet people in my outside life or people would ask me what I was up to, they never understood it, right? It was like, what do you do? Oh, it's something on computers. Uh, You catch bad guys online? Oh, okay. Is that cybersecurity? Well, no, it's different. This is the monetization of the data from cybersecurity. Huh? (laughs) So it's funny how, you know, several years ago, nobody really understood what I did or, or why I did it. But now, If anyone hears the word fraud or has that weird feeling in their stomach, I'm getting an email or a Facebook message about it. I jokingly sometimes tell the story about the time that my mother's credit card was compromised and and she found out that there were stolen, well, there were fraudulent charges being made on it. And she called me right away and said, well, what should I do? And I said, well, you called your bank and canceled your card, right? She's like, no, should I do that first? Yes, mom, do that first because they're probably using your card as you speak. Then after you talk to your bank and you cancel the card and you file fraudulent charges or, you know, ask to avoid the transactions that have already gone through, then you can call me and I can tell you all the things to do. Another example of that is when unemployment fraud first started rising and and there were a lot of uh, posts about it on um, social media, as well as there were a couple of news reports about it already locally. 
And I think I heard from everyone I went to high school with, everything, everyone I knew in my 20s. <laughs> I've pretty much grown up in the same state most of my life. So yeah, everyone was like, oh, we'll call Carice. So now I'm synonymous with fraud. I, I hope it's fraud prevention or anti-fraud, but, <laughs> but for the longest time, yeah, it was uh, confusing to everyone. And I think it probably is still confusing to a lot of people what I do or what I focus on, but they at least know that they synonymize my name with fraud. So on that note, I received a very random Facebook message over the weekend from someone that I met through a guy I went to high school with. So I actually haven't been on Facebook for several months, barely at all, but I got the alert that I had a new message uh, from her. And so I checked it out and I'm just going to read this at first and then I'm going to explain a little bit more. So I, so I get this random message out of the blue that says I found a really good deal on a espresso machine. It's a name brand espresso machine through an ad on uh, Facebook marketplace. I'm wondering if there are things I should look for to know if the site is legit. And then she provided me the link. I looked at the link and what I did is two things. One is I looked at the site and noticed right away that it was stock images. It was uh, greatly reduced items, probably under cost. It was all different types of items. They weren't really, there wasn't really a theme. It was a weird name for a website. It wasn't, you know, a business name by any means. It was kind of just a bunch of words, like, you know, a couple letters put together more or less. And so I also looked up who owned the domain. So if you look up like who is domain, et cetera, or just who is, so W-H-O-I-S, and then domain, you can put in a .com or .net or .whatever domain in there and find out who it's registered to. Now, I know that that is changing over time due to privacy laws in California here in the States, as well as uh, GDPR regulations in Europe and other parts of the world too. But it's a general rule of thumb that I still do. And in this case, there was information there, you know, who the domain provider that they bought the domain through when they bought it, which is extremely important. Uh, So this domain was only purchased like less than two months ago. That's not really common for a legitimate business. So that was a huge, you know, red flag in addition to the website just looking kind of disjointed and for lack of better term, scammy, because I've seen so many of these before. So here was my response. Your instincts are accurate. It looks like what's called a triangulation website. They advertise items using the stock photos from legitimate websites. And if you place an order with them, they'll use a stolen credit card to purchase the item from a legitimate company and have it sent to you. When the online company, and then I listed a few examples uh, of what who they could be, receives a chargeback for the full amount, they usually mark all uh, identifiers of the order as fraud. So then you may not be able to purchase from them again. Also, some of these sites will use your credit card down the road to do the same scheme for someone else. It's really shady and awful. Also, just to top it off, I checked when the website was created and it was just a couple of months ago. I'm sorry, I don't have better news, but you were right to trust your gut. And then I get, okay, thank you. And then they say, if they're offering Amazon pay, does that make it more secure for me? This is when I started to facepalm and realize, Oh, you didn't want to know if it was stolen or not. You wanted to know if something bad was going to happen to you if you if you made this purchase. <sighs> so this was my response. Yes, if they're accepting Amazon Pay, they won't have access to your full card number. 
So in that way, you would be secure. I guess you have to weigh out the risks of possibly receiving the item directly from the victim company. That will mean that they have your address and name, so they could add you to their negative list, meaning you couldn't order directly from that company again. There's a small possibility that this isn't a triangulation website, though it's almost identical to many others I've seen, and that the owner of the site has the merchandise in their possession. So you wouldn't risk being added to a fraud list at a legit merchant, but there's no doubt in my mind that either way, the espresso machine is stolen. And then they said that that's not good, but they didn't wait for my response and they placed the order and... She said, yesterday I looked for, so this was like the same, like she wrote this to me, I think after she made the purchase, which I wasn't aware of, but yesterday I looked for somewhere to cancel, but didn't see anything. The fact that they didn't have a cancellation order cancellation process affirmed my suspicions, but I did tell them that, you know, if they are concerned about it and do want to cancel it, they should be able to contact Amazon pay. So the method of payment to request a cancellation of payment, um, especially if you tell them that you suspect that the website is fraudulent. But I, you know, I said, chances are they're already getting fraud claims and that website will be shut down sometime soon. It's like whack-a-mole. One gets taken down, more pop up. So here's what I wanted to break down a little bit was... I think most of us get these calls from people that we know, but it's also just really good information to have for your consumers if you're a fraud fighter or if you are a consumer listening to this and are interested in knowing what types of scams you need to be protected from. This is the episode for that. So breaking down this particular fraud, like I explained in the message, this is what we call triangulation. I actually first saw it with ticketing and travel companies like event ticketing companies, theme parks, amusement parks, travel agent, online travel agencies, etc. And a lot of times what would happen is people would post trips or tickets to theme parks on anywhere from eBay, Craigslist, etc. And then once they had a purchase, they would either, a lot of times they had already stolen the item and then they would just send them the code or they would use somebody else's stolen credit card to make the purchase and then they would pocket the money. And a lot of times if it was through Craigslist and and those types of things, they wouldn't be accepting credit cards or or payment directly. It would be uh, via PayPal a lot of times. This was, you know, several years ago. Triangulation has now expanded into retail and, and physical goods as well. And we've seen this many times. There was a major coffee company, a coffee maker company. Coffee maker maker, is that a term? <laughs> Go ahead, roll your eyes. I roll my eyes at myself all the time. So uh, coffee machine creator. I'm just not going to get over that, I guess. Moving on, Carice. So there was a you know well-known coffee machine company that had massive triangulation two Christmases ago, uh, not this, or two holiday seasons ago, not this past one of 19, but of 18. And it was quite the setup and operation that the fraudsters had. A lot of them would post on online marketplaces and they would, you know, offer these coffee machines at a very deep discount, a discount that the company and the manufacturer couldn't, uh, wouldn't replicate that would never go down that low. So of course it got consumers attention and a lot of times, you know, they would advertise it, et cetera, or, you know, they'd tell their, Oh, Hey, like I found a great deal for this, you know, over here or whatever. And basically what would happen is someone would place an order with the fraudster the fraudster would get their address and then place an order on a stolen credit card for that person. 
and enter in the shipping address of that person. And so the person would actually get a box directly from that coffee machine company. And we kind of think that that was strange knowing that they ordered it from eBay or Facebook or wherever it was, but they didn't care. They got a coffee machine for like 50% off. Unfortunately, the coffee company didn't catch it because it was very common for them, especially around the holiday season, to see people buying from one city and state and shipping the item to another person in another city and state as a gift. So it was challenging for them with the tools that they were using to be able to identify that fraud. This happens all the time. Additionally, another form of triangulation, and it's pretty much the same thing, it's just a different platform, is what happened to this person who contacted me. They will create their own websites. They will pay a lot of money for advertisements on social media for this you know, company. And a lot of people think uh, that advertisements on social media mean that it's legit. Uh, FYI, there is no vetting process uh, or there is a vetting process, but, and I don't want to hear from anyone that works for the social media companies on this. I am aware that there is a vetting process. However, it does not always ensure that the website is not selling stolen products. So there are definitely some things that I know are screened for. The bad guys know what's screened for too. So, you know, it, it's a, I know it's a never ending battle on that. I'm not going to go down that road of advertising fraud. However, these items are advertised on, you know, platforms that people trust. And so people trust that these are accurate, you know, and, and legitimate companies and they click on the link from the social media ad and it takes them to a random website. A lot of times they won't even look at, you know, what the company says. And a lot of times the URL is branded, but the actual website isn't branded. Like it doesn't say the name of the company all over, like it would a legitimate website. And it's just mostly pictures from legitimate companies' websites. And there's usually all different types of items, right? It's not one category. This particular site was trying to say that they were a wellness, a curator of wellness brands, but there were, you know, there was furniture, there was tools, there was outdoor equipment, etc. And they essentially take the pictures from the merchant's website, place it on their own, and then have people place orders with them. Once somebody places an order with them using either their payment processor that they've quickly set up or a third-party payment method such as Amazon Pay, but it could be anything, Google Pay, uh, probably not Apple Pay, but um, other ones as well. And then they will, they'll accept your payment or sometimes they can accept credit cards, right? But they'll accept the customer's payment and then they will go to the legitimate website of the merchant that whose picture they stole and they know that they sell that item and place an order on a stolen credit card to be shipped to someone else. This is challenging to, uh, to identify for merchants depending on the tools that you use and the systems that you use. I do know that real-time machine learning is going to help find those patterns as well as other good technology, but these are things to be worried about from the merchant perspective. From the consumer perspective, I guess it's a decision on what's most important. Is it important to you to know that you are not cheating the system, that it, you are not stealing something, that you are not paying a criminal to keep doing what they're doing and who knows what they're using this money to fund. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. It's very true that there has been, you know, credit card fraud linked to terrorism and human trafficking and uh, certainly a lot of drugs. I know 
credit card fraud, especially in person, is the crime of choice for people who use methamphetamines. So it's, you know, you as a consumer make a choice and you make a statement everywhere that you spend your money. And if you're feeling that feeling that it's too good to be true, it's important to listen to that. It's important to say, you know, how much is this extra $20 or $100 off worth to me when I know that I'm, you know, stealing from a legitimate company. I am, you know, funding probably lives of crime or a criminal of some sort. You may also be funding a, you know, another country and state-sponsored fraud. That happens as well. So you just never know. Additionally, I mean, there is some risks that they're going to put you on what we sometimes refer to as a sucker list. And they will advertise to you again once they pop up a new website. You'll keep getting these spam emails from all these crazy websites because they now have your email address. You know, I certainly did add to the person that I was advising that they could be placed on the merchant's negative list. That's not entirely certain. I mean, every merchant handles that differently, but it's certainly a risk to a customer, a consumer. And additionally, most merchants are using consortium fraud tools. So if one merchant has marked someone's name and address and email address as fraud, it if you're shopping at another merchant that uses the same fraud provider and you would never know that who uses what, then that there's a risk there too. So these are all things to consider whether you are, you know, we're all consumers ourselves. I, I think it's important for merchants to know that these triangulation websites are out there. It's important for the domain providers to know that they're out there. Uh, a lot of times they won't use a stolen credit card for the domain provider because they want that website open as much as possible and they're willing to shell out the, what, 20 bucks a month or whatever for a domain as long as they can until usually what happens is the disputes, whether through their payment processor or through the alternative payment method that they selected, whether it's PayPal, Amazon Pay, Google Pay, etc., that one of those is going to shut them down because they have way too many complaints of, of fraud. But if they continue to provide customer service, similarly to, you know, what a legitimate merchant would, then they might have a few more months down the line. I've had several large companies reach out to me about these types of websites over the years. Most recently, before this last year, a very large company reached out to me and asked for me to introduce them to the uh, cloud provider, cloud service provider that uh, was hosting these websites that were selling their company's merchandise for less than cost. And so I was able to make that introduction. They were able to shut them down. But again, it's like whack-a-mole. So that is today's What the Fraud. Just like e-commerce has evolved over the last several years, so has fraud fighting. We're no longer only looking at preventing chargebacks and payment abuse. We're also looking at, depending on your business model and what you provide, if you have any kind of user-generated content, you're looking at content abuse, or at least you should be. If you have reviews on your website or co allow comments, allow your users to talk to each other. If you are like an online dating site or gaming site, several apps allow this, as well as social media companies and platforms, all of these aspects are awesome for consumers, but they also provide a lot of risks because fraudsters know that they need to get in front of consumers, whether they're trying to advertise their fraudulent services or they have links in the comments or in the reviews. 
They're trying to get the customer to use your platform to get the customer off of your network to take advantage of them in some way, whether that's gaining their username and password or getting them to buy something from them or getting their credentials or putting malicious malware on their system and, and key logging. The list goes on and on, and this is just off the top of my head. But recently, SIFT provided an ebook or created an ebook called the Digital Trust and Safety Index for Content Fraud. And I found it really fascinating. I honestly don't always read all of the reports put together by service providers because a lot of them have a sales slant. But this one was full of statistics and information. I especially like the one that I think could be used most for expressing to leadership the importance for due diligence in blocking spammy and negative content. So SIFT asked consumers how they'd react if their information was compromised through content abuse. And 56% of them said that they would stop using the site or service and they would select a different company, a different uh, website platform or e-commerce platform. 23% said that they'd keep using the site and service, but change their credentials and personal info. And another 13% said that they would keep using the site and service and contact customer support. So all of those things, whether those users are, whether the 56% of them are leaving your site or the 23% that are changing their credentials or the 13% that are going to contact your customer support and log that up, it's a big mess that you really should be avoiding because at the end of the day, I think the most important thing to people right now is trust and safety, not just in e-commerce, but whether I'm looking for a new dentist or a financial advisor, two things that I have looked for this year, I really want to know that I can trust them and that I feel safe. So a lot of times I'll ask friends for referrals and who they like, and I'll also meet with them and see, you know, how they take my information seriously and, and, and how they speak to me and and how their environment is. And the same thing goes for online. Customers want to know that they can trust your site and that you're going to keep them or their children if their children are using your site safe. And I really think that this ebook by SIFT is really important if you have any kind of content abuse because you can use a lot of this information. Additionally, in the time period between January and May of 2020, they were SIFT blocked so much content abuse, they compared it to 2019 in the same time period, it rose over 109% on a, it doesn't surprise me given that January to May of 2020 was unlike any five months that we've ever had, or six months really, that we've ever had in our world because we had a pandemic. So obviously a lot of scammers are wanting to take advantage of it, which is exactly what I'm talking about on this episode today but it's incredible how much it's increasing. So for all this information, as well as a bunch more statistics that I just don't have time to go into, I hope you'll check this out. It's at www.sift.com forward slash fraudology. And like I said, today's what the fraud segment was a little bit different because not only was it not ripped from the headlines, It also has to do with the theme of today's episode, which really is around consumer fraud. The fraud scams that are targeting consumers right now are off the charts. I mean, absolutely crazy. I think we can all agree with that. And But what's also happening is that a lot of these newer scams that are targeting consumers 
also have an impact to online fraud prevention or online, actually just online companies. It's not even really within the scope of fraud prevention because it's not always at the time of transaction. But I know that these are things that come across your desk, so to speak, as we all work from home, your proverbial desk. And I I mean, you know, you might have a desk at home, but I know a lot of people using their kitchen tables. So I, you know, it's important to say that a lot of these scams were prevalent prior to COVID, but whenever you have an economic uh, decline, and I know this has happened worldwide because of COVID, but some countries have been hit by COVID and by the financial impact more than others. Their consumers don't want to change their habits. They don't want to stop getting the things that they're used to getting, even if they lost their job or they can't, you know, pay their mortgage. I mean, in the U.S. this past month in September, over 40% of people who either own homes or rent can't make their monthly payment this month. That is insane. But those are all people who still want to clothe their need to clothe their children and and feed their children and, and still want the finer things. And so fraudsters know that criminals know that and they are meeting consumers where they are and some so like i said some of these are old some of these are new similarly to the triangulation websites there are a few other types of scams that are similar in the fact that the consumers probably know something's up, but they're going ahead because they weigh it out and they think, well, I'm getting a good deal. So I'm just going to quiet that voice in my head. Uh, And I'm going to start into those first and then uh, go into some of the more targeted ones. For example, in these first cases, it's kind of uh, when the consumer goes out and finds the fraudster or they go out and employ the fraudster or find them. In the other way, the fraudsters or the criminals are, are going out to the customer to victimize them. Either way, it's bad, but that's the way I broke them out because I think that makes the most sense. So just tacking on from the triangulation ads, there's, you know, also obviously fake Uh, social media ads they're posting all over the place of you know different things that you can buy on the cheap um sometimes there's one-time deal sites that you'll find like they only sell the high-end smartwatches and it's only for one day well chances are either a bunch fell off the truck so to speak in in quotation marks like in a physical goods way were stolen etc or they were you know used stolen credit cards to get a lot of them and then they know that that's you know popular also obviously a lot of these items that are purchased with stolen credit cards are sold on third-party sites from a consumer perspective you're pretty safe there because you're actually protected under the third-party uh marketplace however again are you okay with funding terrorism are you okay with funding a drug habit i that's a for you to decide but I think it's important to know that that's you know what's happening and how can you tell that it's a stolen item I mean it's the price is way low it's new in the box and they have some crazy story or they don't have a crazy story and it's not always going to be the stuff that you expect I mean I've seen everything from like pallets of water bottles that have been stolen to books or you know all kinds of things whatever you know, I'm going to say it over and over again. If a company makes money off of their goods or services, a cyber criminal is going to find a way to make money off of those same goods and services. So 
All that said, it's you know definitely important for consumers to look at the URL. I always advise not to click on uh, ads in social media. I know it's super convenient, but you look up the name and then I always put it into Google. You can put it into your favorite search, search engine. And what that's going to do is ensure, first of all, that you get the right website, right? Because some of these uh, social media ads will claim that they are a big brand, but then the actual URL is, is spelled a little differently. Instead of an I, it's an L, but it looks the same to you. So that's one reason. Sometimes those websites can have malware and spyware on it, etc. They track your cookies so they know that you came from Facebook. So then you keep getting all the ads from them over and over again, or you get them from their competitor. Or a lot of these sites kind of track what kinds of sites you look at and they're like, ooh, there's a sucker. Like We're going to put that one in there. So I just, I choose to go out to Google. The other thing is, when you Google a company, a company name, a lot of times you get to see the reviews at the same time. So you get to know if it's a scam or you get to know if it's, there's nothing about that website. There's no PR, there's no, you know, anything. There's no way to contact customer care. I mean, these are just some things that, hmm, maybe this is suspicious. So that's kind of on the ads, obviously, you know, when you're on a third party marketplace, you kind of need to make, do your own risk assessment and make that decision. But again, chances are nine times out of 10, if there is an item for sale for, you know, less than 40% off, and it's not on a legitimate retailer's site that you've you know never really seen before, or, or that you've known about like a brand that you've known about, or if it's on a, a third party marketplace, it's probably stolen. There's also things now called what I'm calling fraud as a service. And uh, I talked about refunding on the last episode. I plan to interview an expert on it next week. So I'm not going to talk about it a ton now, but obviously there are a lot of ads all over social media and in messaging groups, et cetera, that say, Hey, we can uh, get you a refund on your money. And it's not fraudulent. I mean, some do admit that it's fraudulent, but most don't. And they're normalizing it and they're socializing it. They're putting it all over the place. And then it's this continual cycle because they'll put the list of the companies that you could get items from. And then they'll start to have their users post screenshots of the things that they got for free, post the screenshots of the either the order information or the items once they arrived and saying, hey, thanks, refund guy 782. I don't know. That's probably not a real guy. I literally made that up. You know, thanks to him, I got all these items for free for my kid's birthday. And that's like normalizing it, right? You see that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of them, Snapchat, TikTok, etc. You're going to start to think, oh, well, that's normal. I mean, and I want I want a good deal. So why not? Right? Consumers don't realize that this is, it's fraud. It, it, it is completely fraud. Actually, the FBI does classify it as a crime. And, and also like a lot of these people aren't going to be buying those things if they didn't already know that they were getting a refund. So that's the reason why we've seen refunding increase so dramatically in the last several months is that 
they're going out to, you know, regular consumers and those consumers are taking the bite, the bait, and then they start to get addicted to it, right? They, they start to, you know, they received a thousand dollars worth of sporting goods equipment last week. Now they're going to want $2,000 worth of electronics. And all they have to do is, you know, put a little bit on their credit card and then it gets put back on their credit card. So they never have to pay their bill. That's, the thing that I'm going to be preaching about like crazy. And I'm actually uh, doing a session for the NRF Protect on September 23rd, I believe at 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern. And NRF Protect is actually free uh, to attend and register. There's thousands that are already registered. And I actually have just two amazing female fraud fighters, one from Nordstrom, one from Finish Line, who I've been working with in unofficial ways um, on this as part of uh, the group of retailers that have really been driving the conversation about refunding fraud and, and learning from each other over the last several months. And I've been fortunate enough to facilitate that conversation. It's going to be a really good, really good session. We've already done the walkthrough and, and uh, what they say and how they say it as far as how it's impacted them and how they've had to socialize it internally and, and what they're doing is super relevant. I can talk about it all day long, but it's amazing to hear it from them and and they're just superstars. So that was a side note, but uh, sign up to attend that. We are, I think, the last day of the conference. So there's actually 40 really good sessions that are all virtual and done on a professional level. And, you know, a lot of the sessions are about physical loss prevention. So if your company has those teams, definitely invite them. But there are some e-commerce and security sessions that are also, you know, obviously going to be fascinating. At least I'm also very biased. But <laughs> so that side note aside, that's refunding. Here's the other piece of fraud as a service that I really haven't talked about much publicly and only because I really wanted to give refunding its spotlight. But as I've started to talk about this other piece of fraud as a service, several merchants have been able to piece together, oh, that's what's going on. We were seeing this weird behavior. And we didn't know how to categorize it. Uh-huh. So there's this other part that's being advertised, socialized, normalized on social media and in private messaging apps. This is all over the world, but primarily in the US, Canada, and a little bit in Europe. I've heard UK as well. And basically it's called buy for you. And it's, they spell it B-U-Y, the number four and you all one word, because that's how hackers write or cyber criminals spell. And essentially what it is, is that you can hire someone to card, which means using a stolen credit card, or to perform an account takeover on your behalf. If you are a unscrupulous consumer or just someone who really wants a good deal and you know exactly what you want, maybe it's not on a refunders list, but or maybe you already did refunding on that site, but you want to hit them again, you can hire someone, you can basically give them your shopping list and say, these are the things I want from this store. They will go use their, you know, they'll scrub their own device. They'll probably use VPN or, you know, spoofing or of some sort and use a stolen credit card, or they will perform account takeovers, uh, to use the loyalty of the account or the card on file 
to make a purchase and have it sent to your address. A, a lot of a lot of them doing buy for you are actually setting up drop addresses for people near their homes or suggesting that they find a vacant house, which I mean, remember 40% of people in the US didn't pay their rent or mortgage last month. So there are and there are about to be a lot of vacant homes, which is a whole other story and a whole other topic of, of sadness, but that's going to make it easier to create drop addresses. Also, because a lot of, well, all of the shipping carriers aren't doing signature right now because of social distancing. If you know that your neighbor works outside of the house, but you work from home, you could easily, you know, set up an alert so that you know when it's shipped to you or shipped to your neighbor and pick it up. So anyway, it may not always be to the true customer's address, but it's basically for somebody who doesn't want to commit the crime, but wants to benefit from it. And this is taking flight really quickly. I just heard about this about two months ago, and now it seems like it's exploded. It's definitely been happening at least since January, if not before, especially on some bigger websites, but it's just extremely prolific right now. And something that I think it's really important for merchants to be aware of as well as consumers. If you know you hear someone say, oh, I did this cool thing called buy for you or you know, whatever it is, or you start to see some weird behavior that looks like fraud, but it's not really, you know, it's like, well, maybe not, maybe it's from different, you know, I, I know one retailer start, saw this type of activity through an affiliate so that the fraudster was also getting a commission for using an affiliate link to place that order. So that's, you know, a double dipper in a way. So there's definitely a lot of different things, but I think it's really important that you be aware that buy for you is happening and it is expanding like crazy. Our, uh, my interview for this week, who's hopefully fingers crossed going to be able to make it by their schedule next week is even more about buy for you than I do. So I will ensure that I ask him about that. But uh, that is something that you, you know, could in theory look up with your company name on, you know, in a search engine or in a social media thread or et cetera. It's going to be hit or miss because a lot of them are in private groups. But, you know, you could certainly see what's out there. And I think it's important to know that this is happening. I think that, you know, the biggest thing is that it's not going to be have a different MO, but it's going to create more traffic, more fraud, more incentive of fraud. Because if you think about the general economy of fraud prior to very recently, it was that the fraudster had to kind of guess or the cyber criminal had to guess what items or what services the unknown consumer would purchase down the line. They would steal a credit card. They would use an, you know, get into an account because most consumers use the same password. 83% of all consumers use the same password for more than one account. And they will, you know, commit those things and then have to fence them or have to sell them like on, you know, a marketplace or a third party site. Now they've flipped that around. So they don't really get their return on their investment. Not their only investment is their time. Let's be honest here. And they have plenty of it and make a lot for it. So it's not really an investment, but they don't see the money. They don't see the payoff until down the line. The item has to be received. They have to put it up, etc. With triangulation, with buy for you, with kind of with refunding as well, but mostly for these ones, 
No, the the cyber criminals get can get that money up front because he's getting a shopping list from the willing consumer. He knows someone's going to purchase it. He's going to get that money up front before the person even receives their item. So it works out very well for the criminals. And there's another reason why they're going around these things. This These things I'm talking about, I know are scary for online merchants because these are things that you are, are out of your control. The fraud itself, buy for you is happening at the time of transaction, but it's can be more difficult to detect because they're different behaviors and, and there will be less data points that connect because they're not all shipping to the same zip code or the same area. Just as one example, there's a few different ones, but that's one. It, it is going to be harder to detect, but those you might be able to. But all these other things, they're happening outside of your system. There's a reason for that. And it's actually because you're doing a good job. <laughs> I know it sounds backwards, but because online fraud prevention has gotten pretty good. I mean, I'm always going to say that there are some tools that are better than others and, and better for the times and better for the tools that fraudsters have access to and, you know, better for some companies over others. But if you have, you know, fairly newer technology or, or technology that really works for your vertical, then you know, you're doing a good job. You're getting a lot of fraud out of the way, but these guys are not going to go willingly. And so they're going to find another way. And this other way is by utilizing good consumers and recruiting them in various ways. And that's really what I wanted to let you know, as this pandemic continues, as the impacts of the pandemic, especially economically continue, you know, the unemployment rate is at an all time high in the US. I know it's, you know, some, I know that there are financial issues similar in other countries, although some of them are providing a universal basic income or other benefits or requiring employers to pay 80%, for example. I can mostly speak to the US, but I know there are other countries as well that are really suffering with this. And that's going to cause more fraud and it's going to cause more consumers to go these more opportunistic routes. And it's kind of like a death by a million paper cuts because these things are really impacting your brand as well. They're they're watering it down. It's not just a money thing. I mean, it definitely is a money thing. You are going to lose a lot of money. You are going to lose your items and the money and the cyber criminal is going to profit from it. So it's definitely not a victimless crime. But in addition to that, when people see that they can get your items at your brand or your store for significantly cheaper, even if they're using someone that they know in their gut is not legitimate, they think, well, it's that company's fault for not being secure. I don't know how many times I see in dark web forums, people naming the CEOs of some of the biggest online companies and thinking, well, he can afford it. They're not thinking about the fact that the prices of items are going to go up because of the you know, ultimately the consumer pays for these losses at the end of the day. I mean, they may be down the line, but that's going to happen. They don't realize that this is impacting people's jobs, that this is impacting, you know, shareholders and all of that, which is not probably not a concern to cyber criminals. But I have been brought into Fortune 500 companies because they've had to have some really uncomfortable conversations with shareholders about where millions of dollars went last quarter. So, you know, that is an impact. But really, it's a brand thing. They think that, well, gosh, I can't, you know, it's that company's fault for not being secure. And meanwhile, you as the company probably don't even know what's happening. 
And if you are a consumer who, you know, sees these things, I, I guess I would just ask you to really weigh out your, you know, what's important to you and your values. I, I'm, I tried hard not to judge the person that contacted me. Like I said, we're, we're not close friends, but still it was just a little unfortunate that they had already placed the order. Even when they already ordered. I think they just wanted, after they did it, they were like, oh, maybe that wasn't smart. Maybe they, they just wanted me to reassure them that it was legitimate. And unfortunately it wasn't. On that note, there are just so many other scams that are impacting consumers. And, and these, oh, the, here's another one that's really impacting merchants and consumers. And this is one where these cyber criminals are actually recruiting the consumers themselves. They're, they're victimizing the consumer as well as the merchant or the online company. So this is like two birds, one stone, essentially. The most prominent one that comes to mind right away is when scammers call their victims, generally their elderly, and say that they owe a very large bill to their tax service or tax system like the IRS in the US or um, other entities. They owe this big bill and the only and they really cause a sense of urgency and panic and shame all at once and kind of some confusion too. And they tell the caller that they will either be sent to jail or they can pay them in gift cards from a large brand. I know that for those of us who are, you know, if you're not in fraud fighting and you're listening to this, you're a savvy consumer. So you probably are thinking already, like, why would the IRS ever want a retailer's gift cards? Like, you know, a couple thousand dollars worth of those gift cards. They wouldn't. That doesn't make any sense. But to people in an older generation, they're super trusting when people call them and, and say where they're from. They don't know any better. And they, you know, may have the internet, but they probably don't use it very well. And this is mostly through phone, uh, voice phishing, as we call it, or vishing. And there's really, there, these calls are being done by social engineers who really know how to rev up the uh, sense of urgency. And they will walk them through everything. They will be stay with them on the phone when they go to the store. They will explain to them. They will coach to them to go to two different stores or three different stores in their town, if there are that many, to go through the line at different cashiers, to go to a grocery store to buy some of them and then go to the name brand to buy other ones. They're trying to get around to anywhere possible because last year when this first started, they primarily would just go to the stores. And so the stores started to, you know, have signs that say, are you buying this gift card for you or someone you know? If not, you should know that there's a scam going on with this. And so because of that, these guys had to work, find a workaround. So now they're coaching their victims and telling them what to say. And, oh, just tell them it's here for your grandchild. They'll totally be fine. Oh, just tell them it's for, you know, a charity and it'll be fine. And so that makes it challenging for the people at the stores who are not properly trained in fraud prevention or in having these conversations with victims in a tactful, kind, empathetic way. And so a lot of times they go through it and then they are called immediately after the purchase to read off the numbers on the back of the card. Once the criminal has those, they then usually transfer them to multiple accounts until they finally have it in one account and then they will sell off those uh, gift cards. So when you are also seeing uh, gift cards online for greatly reduced prices, in some cases it's like 20 cents on the dollar for some pretty well-named brand companies. 
A lot of times that comes from these types of scams also, as as well as in-person credit card fraud at the name brand store or at these grocery store kiosks. There's other ways on that too, from a card present perspective, but basically anything at a big discount, like if it's too good to be true, it is. That's the lesson of this one, but of this episode, but really it's a real challenge to the merchants because then you have this victim who realizes that they didn't owe any money to this entity and that they were scammed. And of course they want their money back. And so what do they do? They call their bank and their bank issues a charge back to the merchant. Even though the merchant really did nothing wrong, they were just being used. They're a victim too. This is how the consumer victim can be repaid. And that impacts the merchant company greatly. In addition to that, again, it's a brand issue. I will continually quote my friend Kevin Lee, who once quoted his coach, I think it was his track and field coach, who said that trust is earned in drops, but lost in buckets. And that really couldn't be more true for these situations. Whenever your brand is being advertised by someone other than your company, it's out of your control and it's a brand issue. And trust me, your brands are getting spread out all over the place on all these message boards. And a lot of them aren't on the dark web anymore. They're in private groups on social media. They're in public groups on social media. They're in, you know, conversations and, and bulletin boards online. They're all over the place and they're saying, oh, they're so easy to scam. Here's how. Or, oh, I can give you a really cheap gift card for that. Well, why would I buy it directly from the from the company if I can get a gift card from someone else for 50 cents on the dollar and I can give my niece a gift card for twice the amount that I was going to. It's a challenge. So these are the reason why I'm saying these things is because I think that as fraud fighters and professionals in general, we don't do a good job explaining to our companies or, you know, companies in general why this matters so much. And it is a money thing, but it's a brand thing too. And I bet that a lot of your execs will care even more when you say it's a brand issue. And there are things that companies are doing to work around each of these issues. I'm not spending a ton of time talking about it because they really are specific to each company. A lot of them are around processes and policies. Some are around training your in-person staff. Some are around system integration for online and uh, in-store for uh, review. I mean, it can really run the gamut. A lot of times the merchant will create, I mean, these brands that are really getting hit a lot and they're just household name brands they will create a process for people who call in specifically for that to be escalated to the fraud team to review. And then they will make a decision based on the amount. They will try to pull back as much money as possible on those gift cards. As long as the consumer still has the physical gift cards and has those numbers that they gave to the criminal, they can, you know, pull back as much money as they can and then they can reimburse for the difference or they can just reimburse for the amount that, well, no, a lot of times they'll just reimburse for the amount that's still on the cards, which can be a challenge. And those can also be turned into chargebacks, but they also will educate them. There's, there's a lot of things that can be done, but they are pretty customizable to the company, depending on your risk tolerance, as well as your culture and customer service and reputation, et cetera. And, and those are all things that a good consultant can definitely work around and be aware of and find out of the box solutions for 
each specific issue and instance. So I feel like the opposite of Susie Sunshine, (laughs) like negative Nancy or something like that today. The other things I was, you know, going to mention are the fishing and, and voice fishing at attempts as well as the fake ads for things like cures for covid and get rich quick scams and these romance scams that and uh work from home scams that are being used to recruit mules money mules for accepting unemployment benefits or other government benefits for covid relief and that is definitely happening regularly i think i mentioned on a the previous episode that I've been working with one of the states hit hard. And that is definitely something that uh, we have been working on and have noticed. Additionally, I thought it was really interesting that Interpol reported that between January and April, their private partners observed 900,000 spam messages and 48,000 malicious URLs all related to COVID. That is in four months, my friends, like in four months time, 900,000 spam messages, which is probably pretty low. I don't know exactly the area that they were looking at, if it was just in the UK or in Europe, but 900,000 actually seems low, which is sad. But 48,000 malicious websites, all like for cures to COVID or get rich quick, or there were a lot of spoofing sites on government assistance websites for business owners or people who have been laid off from their jobs. So it's a jungle out there. I don't know how else to say that. Like it's really, it's getting really bad and I'm, I'm having a hard time with it. I think the most important thing is for us to all be aware and vigilant of what's out there and what's happening and to have awareness as consumers as well as fraud fighters on the business side and to be educating others about this whether that's the people in your circle who come to you and say hey is this a scam or you're educating your company on what types of scams your brand is being used for that can be very educational i have done that for two of my previous clients and I certainly had the executives realizing how important fraud was when I was done with the risk analysis and the risk assessment, but those aren't fun conversations to have. But as you guys all know, once you have them several times, you kind of get used to it. It's almost like being a doctor and having to give a bad diagnosis. I don't, I actually shouldn't say that because that's not really the same. There's definitely different levels of importance, but it is something that you get used to talking about and sharing. And I think also taking the stigma away and saying, hey, every other company that has online anything that has made it over a certain point has made it over just being a small mom and pop operation online. And even them, they sometimes get hit like they all face it. They all experience it. This is not new. So take away the stigma and let's just find a solution. That's the way I like to handle it. So on that note, I'm going to wrap up this episode, but I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.